0: and produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. We recently realized that many of our episodes highlight the stories of young adults and adults reflecting on having someone die when they were younger. What we haven't talked as much about, though, is being a parent when a partner or an ex-partner dies. This episode is the second in a new series exploring the realm of parenting and grief, We really wanted to hear from parents and caregivers about how they support their children in grief, especially at different developmental stages, and how they show up for their children while also dealing with their own grief. In 2017, Brittany and Jonas were raising two young children and were pregnant with their third. Then, after returning home from a business trip, Jonas was diagnosed with aplastic anemia, This diagnosis came out of nowhere, as Jonas was an extremely healthy, active husband and father. Seven weeks later, after intensive treatment, Jonas died. Aria, their oldest, was three and a half. Her younger brother, Loic, had just turned two, and baby Clyde was still in utero. Brittany, thanks so much for coming in to be part of the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I know we're going to talk a lot about what it's been like to parent three really young kids after your husband died. Can you tell us a little bit about Jonas? Like, what kind of dad was he? What kind of husband was he? Yeah,
1: he was only 30 years old when he died. So he was young and super active. He was a cyclist. He worked for a bicycle component manufacturer, and so that was his passion. Um, So he just loved the outdoors, loved to do things with the kids, And he just was a good guy. Like, he was a great husband. There was no complaints. We had been married almost 10 years. Just everything was pretty good. And at the time that Jonas was diagnosed, you were pregnant? Yeah, I was about, like, 14, 15 weeks pregnant. So we didn't even know at the time what we were having yet. And then I had the two little ones at home. And so, yeah, it was kind of a big shock because he was healthy. He had never... His doctor was still his pediatrician. Like He hadn't updated it. He never had to go to the doctor. He was just always really healthy.
0: And then what? Uh, how did his illness unfold? He came home from
1: Europe for a trip for work, and he was just really tired, and so we just chalked it up to jet lag. He's been gone for 10 days. He's exhausted. Different time zone. So we let it go for a few days, and he was kind of dizzy. He'd help me with the kids, and he would just get really lightheaded. And so... We let that go for about four or five days. And then I thought, you know, you should go to the doctor. Maybe you're sick. Maybe, you know, maybe you're just catching a cold. Who knows? Or maybe, I thought, maybe like a blood clot. You just were flying. I don't know. And then he got some weird bruising on his foot. And so we did go to an urgent care. And they told him that he was fine. They're like, you're young. We don't need to draw your blood. You're You'll be fine. You probably just don't feel good. And so we let that go for another week. And he was super pale, and he was riding his bike home from work and he almost passed out. Mm. And that's when I was like, that's not okay. You know, you could have really got hurt if you had passed out on your bike and you're laying on the side of the road. So we should go. So we went to the emergency room, and the minute we walked in the door, they knew that something was wrong with him just by looking at how, how pale his skin was, that he wasn't getting enough oxygen. So they like immediately took him back from there and just started running tests and hooking up heart monitors and stuff like that.
0: And how quickly were they able to figure out what was
1: going on? Well, about within an hour, they had drawn his blood and got it back. And his blood count was basically non-existent. Like he just had no blood in his body. And so there was just several things there. Like it could be lymphoma, leukemia, aplastic anemia, which is an autoimmune disorder, So they just had several things it could be. And so they knew, like, we need to order a bone marrow biopsy and get the hematologist and oncologist in here and figure out what's going on. And that was probably, like, 8 or 9 at night, so they couldn't do anything then. So they just were like, we'll keep you overnight and we'll figure out where to go from here. But that was just a huge shock. I mean, I broke down in the hospital. I'm like, I'm pregnant. This can't be happening. I thought we were going to come in here and you're going to say, like, He just doesn't, he has a virus, you know, something like that.
0: But, yeah, he was very, very sick. His illness, the course of it was about seven weeks before he died. It was super quick, yeah. How did you approach, because your kids at the time when your husband was diagnosed, they were three and a half and two and 14 weeks. Yeah. How did you talk with your three and a half and your two-year-old? Well, the first part, we just kind of...
1: We're like, oh, Papa's not feeling good. We're going to be at the hospital a few days. They came and saw him. We would FaceTime. They just didn't quite understand it. They were just with family and having different sleepovers. So I think for them, they thought like, oh, this is kind of fun. You know, they don't know what's going on. And then when we came home, it was probably the bigger adjustment because he was in the hospital about a week and then he got to come home for a month. But we had to wear masks if we wanted to see him because his immune system was like non-existent. Um, So either he would wear a mask or I'd have to put little kid masks on the kids if they wanted to be in the room with him. So that was kind of a shocker for them. And they didn't really understand that. And then, um, yeah, Jonas was home for about a month. And then I had to call an ambulance to take him to the hospital because he had passed out in the shower. And that's probably when they realized Mm -hmm. something was really wrong because it was a hectic moment. And I was I had to. I had to grab him in the shower and I was pregnant and trying not to fall and I was holding all his body weight and he was throwing up and so I was screaming for the kids to help and that's what I think really sent them into like they were anxious and it was just kind of a nightmare. And my little boy after that, he wasn't even actually two yet. He turned two like just a couple days before Jonas died. He still talks about that. Like it's unbelievable to me that he can remember that because he remembers the ambulance. So now when we see an ambulance, they ask if Papa's coming home in the ambulance, and because that was the last
0: time they ever saw him. So your kids are still really in that place of trying to figure out what yeah. does it mean that Daddy has died right. and he's not coming back. Right, yeah. How have you had those kinds of conversations with them? Like when Jonas first died, what kind of language did you use? How have you responded to those kind of repeated questions that come up? Yeah,
1: um... I mean, I just tried to explain to them that the doctors did their best and they tried their hardest, but Papa was extremely sick and they just couldn't save him. And sometimes medicine doesn't work. My daughter, I could explain it to her a little bit more that she, since she was the oldest, and just kind of that Papa's not going to come home. Um, that we're going to be strong as a family. We'll get through this. You know, we can. We're going to talk about him all the time, which is what we do. But my two-year-old. I think he gets it more now. I mean, he just turned 4, but it didn't sink in for a long time cuz because we would FaceTime them every night at the hospital, he he would ask me almost every day, "Well, why can't we just call him on the phone? Why don't we just like we can we can see him there or why don't we go to the hospital?" And so I had to do a lot of like if papa was in the hospital, mama would be there. I wouldn't be home not seeing him. We wouldn't do that. We wouldn't just leave him there and not go see him. So he's not there anymore. So that was really hard for them to understand. Yeah, trying to like appeal to the logic of yeah, this is what has happened. Especially when it doesn't make sense in a grown-up mind. It's mm-hmm. so hard to understand, so it's really hard to get it through to them.
0: And with being pregnant at the time that Jonas died, what were some of the thoughts you had about this baby who was going to never have met his dad? My
1: biggest thought was like what first came to mind is that they'll have no pictures together all my other kids have pictures with their dad we didn't do any maternity pictures I mean I wasn't when he passed away I was just six months pregnant so that would have been probably the time we would have done pictures so I'm like I just kept thinking there's nothing there's no proof to show him how much his dad loved him that was that's the hardest thing for me it's hard for all the kids but I can't imagine not knowing your parent especially because I have my
0: parents I don't know what that's like so Mm. I just don't know how that's going to be for him yeah, and so you were wondering, like, there's no physical evidence, no documentation for yeah. for him to look back at. Right. Yeah. You know, you mentioned about your middle son having a hard time kind of understanding why can't we just FaceTime daddy and, and your daughter, like, hiding under the bed. What are some other ways that grief showed up for your kids? What did it look like for them? My daughter had, like, horrible temper tantrums. Um, we would go to the
1: store and I would just have to leave sometimes dragging her out of the store because she just was uncontrollable. Um, and that's a hard one because you have to kind of have the line of they need some discipline, but you also know they're upset and how do you control this and how do you get her to talk to you? She had some other like physical things where her stomach would hurt her a lot for a while. She would wet the bed and she had never done that. Mm. Um, And then my middle son being two, he would ask for Papa a lot. Like at nighttime, he'd call out for him. And, I mean, they just were a lot more clingy to me. I couldn't go anywhere. I always had worked before, so they were used to like certain days I'd go to work and they'd stay with the babysitter, but I couldn't leave the house Mm. without them. It was really hard for them to let me go anywhere, even just for an hour.
0: So really needing that safety and security Mm. of you being close by and – And with your daughter, those really big emotions like coming out in all kinds of different ways. How has that changed for her over time? She's really
1: like stepped up into like this big sister motherly role. And I think that that's been good for her. Like she's just super helpful with the boys. She wants to do things for me. And she'll understand like if we're having hard days, she'll come and give me a hug or she'll be like, I know, Mama, this is hard because Papa's not here. As sad as it is that she's had to mature to that, it's been good for her. And she kind of understands that we're not going to see
0: him now. How have you as a mom of these like three little kiddos, how have you found ways for, I mean, like making space for that, like you said, accelerated maturity and also space for them to still be kids and have fun and play and not feel like they ha- there's that responsibility? Yeah, I
1: try to just, I try to take it on myself. Like I try to do fun things with them and not make it sad, even if it's a day like the memorial of his passing or it's our wedding anniversary, we'll do like a bunch of presents and just try to make it kid-like for them. Whereas inside I might be feeling this hurt, but I want them to just be kids and have fun and not feel the pressure and not put too much on them
0: And that leads to the other question of as a a parent, all your time and energy is going to taking care of these three kids. You've got your own grief about your husband. How do you balance finding time for your grief and being there for them and creating fun times for them? It's a really hard balance, and I'm still trying to figure it out.
1: I think now that we came into this, like, second year is when I finally realized, like, I have to make more time for myself. The first year I was pregnant, I had a brand new, then I gave birth, had a brand new baby, like, it was just all kids, kids, kids. And now I have to, like, set aside the time and be more willing to, like, yes, you can go to a babysitter's because I need time for myself. Because a lot of times I felt that that was selfish and, you know, I should just be with them. But I know that I need to do that in order to be a good mom to them and take a break yeah, I've just tried to set aside the time and and i I grieve in front of them when when I can. and other times I do it by myself because I don't want them to just always be sad. But I think it's important for them to see that it's okay to be angry or to cry or to think it's not fair. You know, some days I'll wake up and it's just not a good day, and I'll say that to them like, I'm angry today. I wish Papa was here. This isn't fair for us, but let's like work
0: together today. So you model how to like identify that feeling, express that feeling, and then let's make a plan for moving forward. Yeah.
1: And I've noticed that's helped. Like with my daughter, if she's having a bad day, I'll try to ask her like, is this because of Papa or what's going on? And sometimes she can't voice it then, but then later in the day, she'll just be like, I miss him so much, Mm -hmm. or I'm just so mad that Papa's gone. Or she'll, we have like certain special things and I'm like, be careful with that. Papa gave it to you. We want to keep it. And she'll, she'll say she wants to throw it away. And then I know that she's having a bad day because um, she's like, I don't want any of this stuff of Papa. And if I saw him again, I wouldn't give him a hug. You know, that's her. And I can tell, like, she's mad. She mm. misses him. And this is hard for her. And
0: How do you respond to her in those moments when she's saying, I wouldn't give him a hug and I just want to throw out all this stuff that's connected to him? I try to give her her time to do that. And a lot of times I just leave her alone for a little bit
1: because she might be in her room and just mad and kind of kicking and screaming and... I let her do that and then I try to come talk to her and say you know kind of validate her feelings like I know it's sad he's gone I'm mad too this isn't fair I wish he was here and then I I always try to explain to her how badly he wanted to be here that he tried everything possible he could do to be here with them that was his primary goal in this entire thing he he, I mean, he said the entire time he was starting to lose his eyesight because of bleeding in his eyes. And this first thought in his mind was, I just want to see my kids. I can't bear not being able to watch them grow up if I can't see them. They were always on his mind. And so I try to get that across as best I can to them because their
0: memories with him are really limited. Yeah, it's like you you now are the keeper of those memories to yeah. share with them to create this relationship. Right. How have you started to do that for Clyde, your youngest? We have
1: pictures all around the house, so all the time, and I have him on my phone, and I'll show it to him, and I'm like, this is Papa, because I want him to be able to see a picture and just know to say that that's Papa. And the name that we had picked for him was different, like we had picked a different middle name, but then I went with Jonas as his middle name because I thought that that would at least give him some connection to his dad, because other kids, you know, they have, a, they have a different connection with the pictures and having met him. And so I wanted Clyde to have something that would prove, like, this was your dad. This is your connection, you know. And then we just talk about him all the time. And Clyde is a miniature Jonas <laughs> in every single way. He looks just like him. He has a dimple in his chin exactly the same. They have the same color hair. His attitude is like him, even as a one-year-old. I mean, everything so I'm always telling him like, oh, that's just like your papa or, you know, everyone tells him you're a miniature Jonas. So I think as he grows up, then he'll, he'll know th- those
0: qualities of his dad. What's it like for you to have this child that is just a little miniature of your husband? It's good and bad. <laughs> it makes me
1: miss him so much because... It is. It's just his little miniature him. I mean, even the way he walks around, he thinks he, like, owns the house. And that was my <laughs> husband. Like, he was in a good way, but he was always like, I do this. I'm in charge of this. And that's how he Clyde is. But I always say that I think God gave me this baby because we weren't even going to have another baby. It happened out of the blue. It wasn't planned. It was weird how it happened. And I just think he knew, like, this is how I would get through it. Mm -hmm. is having this little baby. It's what kept me uh, sleeping and eating because I was pregnant. So I had to, I had to get up every day. I mean, I had the other kids, but someone else would have taken care of them if I hadn't. And so I had to take care of myself for him. And then um, I got this little baby that looks just like him. And so it's, it's, it's comforting. At the same time, it's sad because I wish his dad could see how much he's like him and his, this little miniature him and But I think for Clyde, you know, that's probably good as he grows up. Like he'll have that too, knowing how
0: much he's like his dad. This is kind of an odd question, so it's okay if you don't have an answer. Are there things that you learned from Jonas or just things that were part of your experience of of being with him and loving him that help you in this grief and raising your kids without him? Definitely. He was like had the biggest heart.
1: And I always say that people were so nice to us after he died. They did so much. And I always joked, like, it's because of him, because I'm not as nice as him. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, I'm nice, but I was just like, I'm not that nice. Like, why are they doing this for me? And it's him. Like, he had the biggest heart. And so, and he was always smiling, like nothing ever. He was just easygoing. And so that kind of has helped me with all of this, just Like, take it as it comes, Um, try to relax, just do the best for the kids. And he also, like, had so much confidence in me that sometimes I didn't always have. And so I know that, like, what I'm doing is what he would expect and nothing less. Not in a bad way, like, oh, you can't break down, but he would be like, if I'm not here, I know you're going to take good care of these kids and you're going to do it 110% and they're not going to lack anything. I'm so thankful for that, that we had that he gave me that confidence. He just loved me so much. So it really, it just has helped
0: all along the way. So in those moments of doubt, you can yeah. feel him and his understanding that you do have this capacity and you do have this right. ability. Yeah. I'm curious about when Jonas died, you all had a celebration of life or memorial service? Yeah, we had a <clears throat> memorial service. We had it about a week after he died
1: Um, It was at our church and typically like our memorial services that I've been to is around like 200 people and they counted 514 and then they had to stop because there was, they couldn't count any more people. And it was the entire auditorium was filled and the entire outside was filled under like the covered area because so many people came to his memorial, which really like showed me I mean, I knew how wonderful he was, but I didn't realize how many other people thought how wonderful he was. And like most of his workmates came and his chiropractor came, like just people out of the woodwork came
0: because they all loved him so much. How did wh- how did things go with your kids? I mean, Clyde had to come with you because you were pregnant, <laughs> but for your other two kids, like how did you make decisions about them being there, not being there, yeah. being involved?
1: I wanted them there, but I wasn't sure how they would do because it was like an hour or so thing we had to sit through. And we actually tried to incorporate them um, with this like little video we played during the memorial service that was geared towards kids to show to talk to them about what it means when someone dies. And so we played that in there. We also bought them, like, new Build-A-Bear toys and had them sitting in their little seats for them so they had something to do. And then for part of it, they were, they just went outside with somebody and played outside. But, yeah, I mean, I thought it was really important for them to be there. I don't know how much they remember of that. Afterwards, we went to a park and had, like, drinks and food, and everybody came to, you know, say their condolences, and the kids remember that. They always say, remember that party we had in the park? And I'm like, you know what that party was for? <laughs> but um, so, yeah, I mean, it was important to me that they were involved. And we'll see, I have pictures of, of everything there. And so we'll be able to look back on that and and kind of reflect on that when they're old enough to really understand.
0: Yeah, I know for some people, the instinct can be like kids shouldn't be allowed to go. But it sounds like you had a knowing that it was important yeah. for them to at least have the the option to be there. Right. And we also, I mean, since Jonas
1: was a cyclist, we had, like, flower arrangements with bicycle wheels in them. You know, we kind of tried to make it a little lighthearted, as you could. So, I mean, that kind of stuff was kind of good for them.
0: How have you had to learn to ask for help? I'm horrible asking for <laughs> help.
1: So this was, that was, like, one of the biggest things. I'm like, oh, man, now I'm going to have to actually ask people for help. I tend to just try to do everything on my own. So... It's been really nice that people get that about me. So then a lot of times they ask and I'm always willing to accept it when somebody asks me. And then I just try to communicate well with my family, just let them know like how I'm feeling and what's going on. So then maybe that opens them up to ask me sometimes and I don't always have to ask. And then just being a little bit more straightforward when I've needed to be. I've had to learn to do that, Mm -hmm. but I've learned, you know, it's very important. It's good for me. It's good for the kids to get the help when we need it and not just rely on myself.
0: And what kinds of
1: help has been the most supportive? What's been effective for you? Well, the Dougie Center has been wonderful. And at first... I was hesitant to come because I just I didn't know a lot about it and I thought like oh this is like what is this gonna do but it's been amazing for the kids like it has opened them up to talk about stuff so much which then helps me because my biggest thing was I don't want them to not talk about it and it to blow up later I don't know how to get through to them but because they're talking with other kids my kids come home all the time and they say so-and-so's dad this happened and then we're able to talk about their dad and So that's been really helpful, and as well as, like, meeting the other widows that come here, that's, like, unbelievably helpful because your family sympathizes with you, but if they aren't in your shoes, they really don't 100% understand. So it's really nice to talk to someone. Like, they'll say, such and such said this, and it made me feel this way, and it's, like, such a relief to know, like, oh, my gosh, that just happened to me, and they totally get how you're feeling when uh, nobody else does. You don't have to explain yourself. Yeah, you just know. And just having my family around has been really helpful. Just just really relying on them and going to them when I need to and not feeling bad like I'm just a burden, but just really like telling them my feelings. And I mean, I have a good family support, so that is very helpful.
0: What suggestions do you have for any of our listeners out there who might be in a similar situation of their partner dying and having really tiny kids, maybe be even being pregnant at the time.
1: Yeah. Um, I would say the biggest thing is just don't close yourself off. Um, that's kind of I feel like the inclination. When someone dies, you just kinda wanna like bury into yourself and not be out in the world. And it's really good to like go out and do stuff, be outside. I know that's really helped me. Like when we have really hard days I just take the kids and like we're going outside we're going to the park even if we just like lay there in the grass and do whatever it's that kind of stuff is helpful and just really finding like some key friends that will be there for you whenever you need them and then seeking help in places like the resources like the Dougie Center or wherever you are that has something like that is definitely the way to go so
0: changing the scenery changing and moving your body, Mm -hmm. finding support with other people who get what you're going through, and then making that really hard step to reach out for help to those people that you know can be there. Yeah. What about those times, well, I shouldn't assume you have these times, but I imagine you may have a time where it's like two in the morning and you're awake and it's just overwhelming. That happens a lot of the time (laughs) because my brain starts and then doesn't stop, but
1: I don't know. For me, I mean, I'm a f- I am have a faith, and so prayer is a lot of it, too. So I pray for help um, just to kind of calm myself down, maybe to think about other things that aren't as stressful, and just to kind of breathe through it. And I, I still live by the motto, like, one day at a time. I was always a super planner and, like, had months and years planned ahead, and now it's like, let's just one day at a time, maybe a week at a time, because some day, times all you can do is get through that day and then you're glad you finished that day and you can go on to the next and the next day
0: might be better. So it's really had to shift kind of your outlook on yeah. the world and how you move through day to day. Yeah. Well, Brittany, I really appreciate you taking time out of what I imagine is extremely busy life with three yeah, little kids <laughs> to come back across town to record with me today. Well, thank you. I really appreciate being able to do this. And listeners out there, thank you for being part of our community. This is the second in our new series of talking to parents when their kids were at different ages and different developmental levels when their other parent or their partner, their spouse died. So um, the last episode, which was 118, that was with Josh talking about his daughter, Sylvia, who was five and a half. Today, we talked with Brittany, who had very young kids. Uh, including being pregnant when her husband died. So stay tuned. We're going to eventually uh, delve into that world of middle school and also high school. So that'll be coming up. So we appreciate you listening. If you at all feel pulled to supporting our show, we are 100% community funded. So if you ever would like to support us in that way, you can go to our website, duugyorg dot forward slash grief out loud and just click the blue donate button. So thanks for listening and we hope you'll join us again next time.